Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 265. No, really, it's a new show. Recorded December 6th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. That's it, right here. Don't bother Googling it. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Engineer, Wakeham. Hey, guys. Hey, Mark, and welcome, Element OP Faithfulites. And a merry geek, Mr. Ah, nice. So, this, uh, we are recording on December 6th, as I just said, but this will not be released until December 28th. So, it is now three days after Christmas. You're probably still having uh, turkey and stuffing sandwiches, um, but uh, hopefully your house guests have left, because according to Ben Franklin, uh, they're starting to smell pretty bad right around now. Um, <laughs> so, we're... Uh, we're not going to do a whole bunch of Christmassy stuff because it's after Christmas, but we're recording this early so that we could have the last two weeks of the year off. So there you go. So naturally, since the content here is going to be almost a month old, we decided to do a new show because that's the way we roll. <laughs> we're timely. <laughs> Yeah, they thought I might quit because the one thing I bring is I scour the interwebs for news. And what's the one thing that gets dropped like every show here lately? Sorry, Seth, we've been going an hour and a half and we just haven't got to your news yet. Well, it's not like you've been silent for the whole hour and a half each show. You know, you have your own I know. Yeah. Um, so I, I did want something just like moments before uh, we came on in here to record happened that I thought was the weirdest thing. I got an email from Netflix um, encouraging me to buy somebody a, uh, a Netflix gift certificate. Um, okay, that makes perfect sense. But oddly enough, specifically, the ad was for the DVD service for Netflix. I thought they were trying to kill that. And now there's a marketing blitz trying to get me to, to spread the word on it. I don't get that. Hmm. That's weird. That's weird. Well, I mean, you, you bought one last year. So it's probably like, hey, let's remind him to send us some more extra money. But I only and bought then, you the the streaming subscription, right? Yeah. So I I don't I don't know. But also, Stranger. inherent in the email, I didn't know this. They now own DVD.com. If you type in oh. DVD.com, you go to Netflix. Who knew? Um, wow. What What was DVD.com? I I would have assumed it uh, was probably a Sony thing. You know, since they invented the DVD. Should um, we actually explain what a DVD is for our younger <laughs> listeners? <laughs> for you millennials out there, um, it's the thing that you steal from. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was inappropriate. Um, now, I, I, just Netflix has been de-emphasizing the whole DVD by mail thing uh, a lot over the last couple of years. And now it was really a surprise to me to suddenly get this hey, we're still out here, and we probably paid millions of dollars for a domain for this service. So I'm just, it seems like total mixed messages to me. <laughs> and did it happen It happened just today? Yeah, just like five minutes ago. So, you know, 8.50 on December 6th, 2016, I'm getting something from Netflix that says uh, we would like you to give a, a subscription to the DVD by mail service. And maybe it's because I'm the only person in the country still using that service. Maybe it's like, you know, if anybody's going to buy it, it's going to be this guy. Yeah, no, probably not. I'm looking to see if I got one 
Uh, oh, all the stuff I deleted is back. Yay, I love email. So, nope, I did not get one. I was I'm thinking sure maybe they just sent the one to folder. everybody in their list, but... I don't know. Friends can be picky. Parents already have everything with 93,000 plus movies and shows choose uh, to choose from. DV Netflix DVD is a crowd pleaser that's sure to deliver happiness to their door. Specifically, <laughs> Netflix DVD. Soon to be available on a page on Internet Archive near you. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, the uh, DVD library is much larger than the streaming library, which is why I still subscribe to it. Um, because there's just a lot more stuff you can get there, particularly older stuff. So it still has value. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, and following up on something that we've discussed uh, in the recent past to us, in the le less recent past to you who are listening, um, IRS is actually auditing Coinbase. Um, so they basically told Coinbase, hand over everything, and Coinbase said no, but the, the IRS didn't back down with a no. Yeah, sounds like judges don't like no either. They're siding with Coin uh, with IRS, and they're uh, saying, "You got five million customers, uh, Coinbase, give them up." And so they issued a John Doe summons, which is uh, apparently an uh, you know like a big net effect uh, to try and grab every customer and every customer's transactions, so they can go after them because. According to my accountant, anyway, the IRS think we're all guilty until we prove ourselves innocent. So, And it also uh, assumes we're yeah. all Americans, that all Coinbase users are Americans um, doing business in America. Um, that I consider well, quite a, a leap of logic. It, yeah, that, that's interesting because I think Coinbase originally didn't care where you were from. And then there was a time sometime around about 2014 where they did this know your customer thing and they had to... You had to identify, they basically shut you down until you re-enabled your account by filling out all this paperwork and sending them ID and driver's license and all that good stuff. And I think then they turned back on the American customers, but the I don't know if the international customers ever survived that. Yeah, so I uh, didn't have to do all that uh, because I just linked it to an existing American bank account. Um, right. And right. so the bank already did all that stuff. Um and anyway, it just it's so it's so odd to me. And you're right. the The IRS mantra has always been um, guilty until um, proven innocent twice. Right. This is a weird one because the IRS's laws in regards to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, are so vague and basically represent one page of an FAQ uh, thing on their website. I mean, it's there's nothing there other than the fact that they say Bitcoin is is property. So you have to treat it like an asset. And when you transfer Bitcoin, you're effectively selling an asset. So it's, it sort of falls under the same category as if you were selling a house. If you gain on the sale, you have to pay tax on the gain. Um, the problem is that you don't transfer a house from one digital wallet to another or take it out of your Coinbase account and stick it on your hardware you know, wallet. Um, it it just doesn't. There's no parallel here at all. Well, they're and, they're, they're trying to treat it uh, not like a house, but more like gold or silver. Um, yeah, as a hard asset. Um, yeah, but but the the an anonymity of it makes it more difficult because if I move gold from one vault to another, uh, there's a paper trail of that. 
um, of some sort, just because of the nature of moving gold from one place to another. Um, and there's less of a paper trail there. So they assume that once you've moved it, you've spent it. Right. This is, um, I think, as much. Well, the, the background behind this is that the Treasury Department in the U.S., came down really hard on the IRS for not really understanding Bitcoin, not understanding cryptocurrency. And so they basically t- put them to task and said, you need to go and, and get a handle on this and develop policy uh, that's better than a one-page FAQ on your website. So they went after the gorilla in the room, the you know Coinbase, because they thought that that's where all the Bitcoiners live. Um, reality is that that's just an exchange and, and a wallet it's not necessarily um, in any way uh, a representation of the Bitcoin community at all. Um, the IRS have separate le- uh, rules as for mining Bitcoin, how you have to classify that as income or classify that as a, a capital gain on an asset. Um, it's really crazy. And I think what we're seeing here is a, a formulation of regu- regulation around this so that they can get a handle on it that will eventually... Um, help everybody out because we'll actually know what the rules are. But I spent, I think, probably two or three hours today with my accountant trying to make sure that everything was in compliance. And and we think we are. We think we've been doing everything the right way, you know, since day one. But who knows? Because the rules are not even well described. So maybe at the end of the day, what will happen is the IRS will pick the, say, top 1% of Coinbase customers, study how they use Bitcoin, what they do with it, look for obvious signs of criminal behavior and prosecute that, look for uh, consistent use or uh, customary use of it, transfers and so on, and maybe from that they'll deduct uh, what they need to put together as regulation. They'll issue regulation, we'll all whine about it initially, and then the Bitcoin price will go through the roof because now there's some stability and some expect, you know, some... Uh, predictability in the in the whole ecosystem and maybe we'll have something so i don't know i'm kind of optimistic long term about how this is going to play out but in the interim it's just a big pain in the butt well sort of as as a whole the american way of doing things is don't make a decision until there's a lawsuit um you know certainly copyright law is is not settled until there's a lawsuit um, and finance law, you know, is the same way. It's we have some basic guidelines, um, but they're not really laws. They're just kind of recommendations, and then we leave it to the courts to decide whether what you did was illegal or not. Um, that's about been one of my complaints about the whole uh, DMCA thing uh, since 1994, when it was uh, rewritten, uh, is that the, the there are guidelines and there are principles. But you don't actually know if you've broken the law until you go to court and a judge says you've broken the law. And the IRS works much the same way, only um, in reverse. It's we assume you've broken the law until you prove yourself in a court of law to have not broken the law. And and so it's all it all happens in the courts rather than in the legislature, which is where laws are supposed to happen. But you you misrepresented what happened there, Mark. The IRS declares you broke the law and penalizes you for breaking the law. Then you have to figure out that you didn't break the law and spend twice as much money to prove you didn't break the law. Then they give you back some of the penalty they took. 
Yeah, the, so the that's Treasury more Department of how it works. Treasury Department and IRS is the only place in America where punishment comes before adjudication. Okay, but the IRS is not the Treasury Department. The IRS is a private organization only quasi-related to any federal government branch. I said and IRS. So it's it's true in in both those cases because the, the Treasury Department does the same thing. You know, they will they'll seize assets, shut people down, punish you first, then decide whether or not you've done wrong. Wow. WWDTD what would Donald Trump do? <laughs> I remember uh, 1997, somewhere around that area, I flirted with running my own computer business uh, in Texas, uh, and I filed with a small business license and did all that, and I was supposed to file my ta- uh, income taxes quarterly. Um, and the first quarter of my business, I had done almost no business at all, and all of that business was with uh, churches and or schools. Uh, so I collected no sales tax of any kind. What I did not know in my 24-year-old naivete was that you have to file a piece of paper that says I collected no taxes. You can't simply not file if you didn't collect any taxes. So because <laughs> I didn't file the piece of paper that says I collected no taxes, the uh, Texas comptroller assumed, essentially made up a number and sent me a bill for something on the order of five times the amount of income I had made in that quarter and said, these are the taxes you owe and didn't stop there. So before the letter, like they put the letter in the mail and before I got it, while the letter was in transit with the U S postal service, they froze all of my assets. Uh, and because I was a DBA, uh, doing business as I didn't have a separate business account, that meant that all of my personal checks that I had paid rent with and paid utilities with, and those are all those things bounced because all my assets were frozen. So the the Texas Comptroller's office making an assumption and shutting me down cost me many thousands of dollars when I was a 24-year-old just out of college kid. I couldn't afford any of that. And I called up and said, where did this number come from? This is insane. This is ridiculous. And the person on the phone literally said, oh, yeah, we just make something up to get your attention. <laughs> Well, they did that. They got your attention. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's not the IRS, but it's the local equivalent, the state equivalent of it. And it's just it's just nuts. So essentially, for want of having signed, uh, filled out one form and put, well, I think at the time, 27 cents worth of postage on it, I was out thousands of dollars um, and, you know, uh, damaged reputation. It went on my credit report for seven years, uh, all of that. Um, and you know, they, they, there was no apology. There was no, you know, anything. I was punished first, then I was adjudicated. Um, and then that was that. Oops. Yay. I'm so happy. I'm an American. <laughs> well, I don't know that it's better in other countries. I just don't know. You know, it may be, it may be just as bad, but, uh, it's just as bad. Yeah. It's just as bad. <laughs> the one- yeah, I mean, but you know, we're supposedly the land of the free and the rule of the law, rule of law and all of that. And, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Supposedly there's a constitution that is the ultimate authority in our country. And yet, you know, in a lot of ways, it's closer to a Gestapo state. So, you know, yes, I invoked the apparently the only thing that's still evil in the entire world is Hitler, because even communism seems to be making a comeback, at least in the uh, <laughs> liberal controlled haunts of America. So, you know, yay, America. Woohoo! 
you know, it's Steven Seagal when you need him. The the difference is the IRS doesn't have jackbooted thugs. They hire the uh, compel the police to do that for them. So the IRS will will tell the local police the SWAT team will come break down the door of a ninety four year old grandma. Um, so it's not quite the same as the SS, but it's close. They're not directly <laughs> under control of the government. All right, let's yeah. move on to something a little less sad and, and tragic. Uh, Merry and, Christmas. And so, it, and only a little less sad than the IRS is the current state of Apple Maps. But Apple hopes to make it a little better. Yes, Apple has released the drones. Um, at least that's their goal. Seth so has been going- waiting weeks to say that. This news story has been passed <laughs> from week to week, and he's been waiting for that moment. So, yeah, um, so they are essentially, they've finally admitted, yes, all we are is a cheap, lousy, pathetic, disgusting attempt to duplicate the awesomeness of Google Maps, and we have failed miserably. You know, I, I tried to go see Mark and ended up in Alaska using Apple Maps, so they're very bad. And so they're going to fix it with drones flying like 400 feet. I can- just, I can see the problems with the using drones, but at least they're admitting there's a problem. And, you know, from whatever step program you choose, always up high on the list is first you have to admit there's a problem. But so, um, you know, the, all the benefits of drones, they fly over territory faster, blah, blah, blah. So imagine you're trying to drive down the road and with your Apple map drone view, you're like, wait a minute, it doesn't look anything like this because from a few hundred feet up, things look much different than street view. So anyway, Apple is looking to up their maps. I mean, let's face it, they can't get any worse, and they're going to use drones to do that. Take it away, guys. So this is <laughs> Google Street View cars um, with a ra- uh, an effective uh, range of a couple of miles and a lifespan of about 20 minutes um, and not anywhere near the actual street. Did I get that right? Pretty much, yes. Okay. Oh man, I don't know. Apple continuously amazed me with their, you know, businesses they should never be in in the first place, and this is one of them. So There's no reason. I mean, if if you're going to droneify this thing, right, you're already using cars, because again, the best the best drones on the market have an effective lifespan of half an hour, maybe an hour, if you really load them up with batteries. If your full payload is batteries, oh, but no. They're going to have cameras and GPS, so they can't have a full load of batteries. Um, so where are all these drones flying from? Cars. So you're sending a car out to the street, then launching a drone above the street to go out and take pictures of the street and send it back to the car that's on the street. Okay, but, but here, here's the thing. Tell me if this makes sense to you. The approval is subject to a number of conditions. A drone speed cannot exceed 87 knots. Okay, fine. Its altitude is limited to 400 feet. Okay, so it can only go a maximum of 400 feet high. And its flight must be kept at least 500 feet away from all persons, vessels, vehicles, and structures. So you've got a traffic (laughs) camera that can't get near traffic. Okay. Right. It can only go 400 feet high, but you can't get within 500 feet of anything else. So apparently, they're going to really map the desert. So it's 100 (laughs) feet up and 200 feet to the left. Nice. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently they're going they're going to have the best representation of the Mojave Desert of any map company out there. If you want to know what things just off the road look like, Apple Maps is the way to go. <laughs> there I, you go. Know, talking about Apple, and this is kind of I don't know if it's interrelated or not. I was at the airport the other day and I'm standing in line on one of those Southwest flights, you know, where they put you in the in the uh, cattle call thing where you get a number and you stand there waiting to be called in group A or B or whatever it is. And I swear to God, I'm standing there minding my own business and this guy behind me at, in, my, in, in loud noise level says this, hey, Siri. And I'm like, I turned around. I'm like, what the heck? I'm ready to hit the guy. I'm thinking, don't call me Siri. And I realize he's talking to his damn phone. Apparently, this is now a popular thing to do in public. So, have you have you guys experienced this before? Sure. Oh, God. They drive me nuts. So, was one of the reasons he said it loud just to see who, uh, you know, if he could get other phones to go off, probably? I think he was just one of these hipsters just trying to show off that he was trying to find the best restaurant where he was going to land or what the weather was like in, in Podunk, Iowa, or wherever he was going. It was just... It was just annoying. I mean, you know, you're just standing in line, mind your own business, and then and then in your ear loudly, "Hey Siri!" It's like, oh, jeez. Well, the reason the he heck? was yelling was because he had his hipster headphones on, and he was uh, blaring the latest dubstep, and he had to yell <laughs> to be heard over himself. Yeah, or the free U2 track that came with his phone or something. Yeah, it was exactly that. <laughs> um, the one of the features I liked most about the uh, Moto X Pure phone that I have is. Um, its version of of Yo Google. I, I didn't want to say the the thing. Um, <laughs> is you you put it to your ear. The proximity sensor turns it on, and it automatically starts listening. Um, makes a lot of sense. I was excited about that because again, you don't have to now talk to your phone at full. Volume. You can put it up there and just talk to it at a low volume. Unfortunately, every time I put it in my pocket or laid it on a desk or in any way obscured the uh, uh, proximity sensor. My phone said, if you said something, I didn't hear you. So the first four or five times that happened in a meeting or at church or, or something like that, I decided I would disable that feature. So, you know, the best intentions of mice and men. You know, I just realized I just said the, the, the uh, hey thing yes. and everybody's iPhones just all went ding, ding. Yes. So I, we probably don't have it up a lot iPhone iPhone owners. listeners on this show. <laughs> We'll just do that periodically in the podcast, just blurt it out just so you get rid of your iPhones. So (laughs) if you haven't seen it already, Google it. Um, A guy put a Google Home and an Amazon Echo together um, and said, hey, Echo, what's my uh, evening look like? And Echo said, you have one appointment. Uh, The title of that appointment is, okay, Google, what's my calendar look like? And the Google Home said, you have one appointment, the title of which is, hey, Amazon, what's my calendar look like? You have one appointment, the title of which is, they created an infinite loop between the two. That's kind of funny. I like that. And, the, you know, it's 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 like the, 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 the pointless button. You flip the switch and a finger comes out and just flips the switch back off. That's all it is. It's a useless button. But it sure was funny for about 50 seconds or so. <laughs> I, uh, when I was a kid, um, this will tell you back when it was, there was the Teddy Ruxpin teddy bear that talks to itself. And then there was another one right around that time. I can't remember what it was, 
but both of them were voice activated. I did that in the toy store with them. I put, I lined a bunch of them up and then spoke to the to the Teddy Ruxpin, which then responded, which then made the other thing talk back. And within a few minutes, I had the entire section of the toy store talking to itself, and they were all <laughs> answering each other. And uh, so apparently I was an internet troll before there was an internet. <laughs> ah, the good old days. See, Mark, but there's no YouTube video on this, so I don't know if it really yeah, happened. That's right. No video or it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, continuing on the theme of um, technology that doesn't work well and jackbooted government thugs, the FBI now has legal permission to hack you. Yeah, they. Um, there was a recent change in, uh, I don't know whether it's policy or a law, but now it used to when the FBI wanted to... Um, investigate that's a good word you they had to get a warrant from a judge who had jurisdiction over you so you know the judge in spokane washington couldn't give a warrant to hack into you know key west florida but now they can get a warrant from anywhere and snoop anybody so um in some ways i can see where this is a good thing because you know maybe you've traced the IP address and you think it's here, but then you find out he was using a proxy and that would invalidate the warrant. So I can see the reason behind having this, but I can also see how this can, this will be one of those things we look back and go that escalated quickly. (laughs) So, uh, you know, because now the FBI, much like the IRS did there, someone somewhere might be using Bitcoin illegally somewhere. There's a computer doing something it shouldn't do. We need to find where it is. And so Warren, is examine entire internet for one malware spewing computer. And then the next thing you know, the IRS or the FBI is looking at your internet history to see if you've uh, supported terrorism. So if I get this right, okay, so I'll throw this out as a hypothetical. There's some botnet out there that decides it wants to do something bad, whatever it is. And that botnet happens to be on, let's say, Windows. And one computer goes and illegally breaks into, I don't know, a hospital or a bank and does some ransomware thing or whatever it might be. So Miles, you're being pretty far-fetched here. Uh, just, <laughs> come on. No, a a, a no, Windows back machine down planet being Earth. hijacked? <laughs> right. Well, but let's, let's just say that happens, right? So are you saying that with this one warrant, they can say, well, this could be on every Windows computer in the United States, so this one warrant now covers every Windows computer in the United States? Is, it, is that how this is going to roll out? I could see it being used for that, but now what it's being used for is there is a computer doing this, and we don't know where it is. We need to find it. So rather than tracking the computer down first and then going to a judge in that jurisdiction and getting a warrant, they can get a bench warrant from, you know, the, I don't know, the the judge in the FBI headquarters or however that works, and then they can go after it. So it just, it makes it easier for them to track something because, you know, you can use uh, VPN services or whatever to obscure your real location. And under the old rules, 
if, if somebody in Texas was doing it, but I had a VPN service to California, that California warrant wouldn't be valid once they realized my computer was in Texas, they'd have to get one from a Texas judge. So with oh, these man. rules, now the one warrant, they can then trace it through the computer or through the, through the intrawebs of the world. Now, I could see it very easily escalating, you know, that escalated quickly, where now... Any computer that's doing bad is covered by one warrant issued six months ago, and, you know, they're off to the races. But that's not the intent. Could be an unintended consequence, though. So, right. we're one step closer to the world internet, please. The, uh, we? I mean, that's it, really. As yep. you might expect, the EFF is apoplectic about this and saying that this is the end of all privacy in the world. All your base are belong to us. Um <laughs> I'm going to uh, speak um, in in a little more um, hopefully conservative light here and say I'm actually not too mad about this. This is a case of um, the government taking an active step to get out of the way of law enforcement. Rather than obstructing law enforcement, this is about getting out of the way of law enforcement. And this, um, this is a long line of congressional acts over the last couple of decades uh, really since uh, uh, September 11th, to uh, force interagency cooperation with one another uh, and and to make things simpler uh, for the good guys to do their job. And Seth, I mean, you, you pretty much said that's the intent of this, and, and I, I'm going to fall down, uh, fall in line behind that. That is the intent of this. The idea here is for uh, red tape – and and legal eye dotting and t crossing to not hold up active criminal investigations in that light and in that light only i'm actually pretty much okay with this this seems logical and reasonable and appropriate now that assumes a certain level of trust in the organizations or in the oversight of the organizations and and i and the eff has none of that they have no trust at all in either the organization or the oversight so uh, uh you know Leaving that aside, the 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 skies falling is certainly uh, appropriate if you don't trust anybody in government at all. But if you assume that most law enforcement people are rational, intelligent, reasonable people who are actually trying to do a good do the right thing, this is a tool that makes it easier for them to do the right thing. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, yeah. No, I-, I guess. I guess I just you know what what picture, what picture comes to mind here is that is that you know immoral police officer pretending to be somebody and trolling a forum and 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 you know entrapping well, yeah, somebody absolutely into a once crime. trust is broken then yeah. any nightmare scenario is available right and oh, you I, know this uh, is once the genie's out of the bottle. You can't put it back in, really. Yeah. You know, once once they have this power, oh, you overstepped that power, now you lose it, is unfortunately not the history of uh, bureaucratic growth in this country. So, I, I totally agree with the, the reasoning of this, because... It is the internet makes it very hard for a territorial agency to enforce their laws because you might be doing something that would get you 20 years in Arkansas, you know, but in California where you did it, 
it's perfectly legal. And you don't know that somebody from Arkansas clicked on your computer, you know, and so therefore is the is the duty on you to make sure no one from Arkansas sees you or is the duty on the person in Arkansas not to go beyond their borders? Do we put little walls, little firewalls around each jurisdiction? So it's very hard. And something like this is, I like the fact that they're trying, you know, yeah. Oh, look at the FBI. They're so trying way to go government. Let let me jump in on that one. The FBI by, by definition, by charter and by practice, only gets involved when things do cross state lines. Right. So the FBI wouldn't even be involved if it wasn't a multi-state, multi-jurisdictional process. So this this thing is the organization whose job is to cross jurisdictions now has the ability to cross jurisdictions. I, yeah, and like I say, it has the possibility for being a good thing. Unfortunately, looking at the history of our government – Many things have had the possibility to be good things, and very few of them have been. Um, you know, I just I don't want to start naming examples because the show's not long enough for all of that. But and we all can think of several. So yeah, I, something needed to be done, and they did something. Whether it works or not remains to be seen. But anyway, I you know, hey, news, yay, news. <laughs> Have you have you guys ever read a book by uh, you know who Brian Krebs is right the yes. journalist for the what is he he used to be the Washington Post I think and then he went off in his own sort of security uh, hacker journalist type thing KrebsOnSecurity.com, I think is his right. website he has a book called Spam Nation I've read it, it. is it, oh it's a fascinating read and the one thing that I the 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 takeaway from reading that book which I I took was that most of this bad internet crime stuff is happening in Eastern Europe, Russia, or, you know, Ukraine, or somewhere over there. It's not necessarily happening here. That's not to say it isn't happening in some way here. But I'm just wondering if if they're arresting the guys who are doing all the ransomware stuff out of the Ukraine. They did that again this week. Um, what's the effect of this going to be on... you? I mean, yeah, it does empower US law enforcement to have far more effect... And to not have, uh, they don't have rules getting in the way of them doing their job. Well, that never ends well. And so I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking this is putting a sledgehammer into the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to wield it very well and then hitting the wrong thing with it. Okay, I, I accept that and I will not refute it, but I will say that the FBI has been around a long time and by and large they do a pretty good job. So the the an- analysis that says putting a tool in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to use it, I don't think is appropriate. They they do a good job and have been for a long time. You're gonna get mad at somebody, get mad at the NSA. Um well, yeah. they're yeah. they're violating their charter and that's well known. The FBI at least has not been uh, uh even really heavily accused, let alone proven, to be violating their charter on a regular basis. So yeah. I'm just gonna okay. leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, you know, germane to this discussion, we already we already invoked Hitler um, uh, I'm currently reading a biography of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, if you if you don't know who that is, he was a a uh, German theologian who was executed for attempting to kill Hitler. Spoiler alert! Um, Cost and, of discipleship? Yeah, uh, no. Oh, okay. Um, it's a specific. It's not his book. It's oh. it's a book about him. It's a, a biography of him. But anyway, in that, uh, of course, you can't tell Bonhoeffer's story without telling the story of the the Nazis and. 
and uh, Seth, your that escalated quickly thing. Uh, January 30th, 1933, uh, Hitler uh, is elected democratically as the chancellor of Germany. Uh, by May 1933, uh, people are being sent to death camps. So things can't escalate quickly. History has shown us that it does, and democratically elected people can do terrible things in in legal ways. So, I, what did he say his his first day in office was going to be? I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just trying to parallel the two here. Uh, well, it was make Germany great again. I, I'm not lying. That's, that was pretty much the platform he ran on. Okay. <laughs> Oh, oh man, Lord, 2017, Lord. here we come. <laughs> I, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, anyway, uh, so I see both sides of this. I'm able to walk uh, along this fence and see both sides and say that good good people can do good things more easily now and that bad people can do bad things more easily now. Um, both of those things are true, and you just have to decide who whom you trust and who you, whom you don't. Yep. No disagreement there. Okay. <laughs> so moving right along, uh, basically, most people tend to trust Google and nobody trusts Flash. So here's somebody that people trust trying to kill something that nobody trusts. That was yes, my weak um, attempt so, at a segue. Yes. Well, Flash. Uh, so has Google launches Chrome 55, which is due out you know, I don't know, maybe by the time this show airs, we'll be on Chrome 70 and this will be ancient history. Um, but they are basically going to make it to where Flash doesn't work. But apparently on some sites, you can still enable it for a little bit. So they are just, you know, we've we've talked about the death of Flash here. And it's like, you know, now one foot was in the grave. Well, I think it's in the ground and this is like a shovel full of dirt being thrown on the casket. So it's just Chrome 55 is going to more disable flash in Chrome than before. And it's, um, they're like kind of drawing a hard line with that. I just have to point out that, uh, one of the whitelisted sites where flash will still work is YouTube. Right. So clearly they recognize that there's a great legacy base of Flash out there. It was what 2010, 2009, when Steve Jobs stood in his you know black turtleneck and declared Flash is dead. Well, that dead man is still walking um, and still powers somewhere around forty percent of the web. Now, just a couple of years ago, it was up to eighty five percent. So it's 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 you know on life support definitely. But there's still about 40% of the web that not only uh, can utilize Flash, but relies on Flash, including a large chunk of Google's legacy uh, content. So Flash is not dead, but they want to kill it. And uh, this is Google talking out of both sides of their mouth here. We're going to ban all Flash except on sites we own. Well, I mean, there's other ones on there. Facebook and Yahoo. Who goes to Yahoo anymore? Um, Amazon. So, you know, there's some other sites, but, you know, and, for and the this little... From, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to do it anyway. I apologize and then do it. Um, this from the company that still embeds Flash in their browser. Presumably after Chrome 55, they won't. But that's a thing, right? That's still a thing that Google, as of this moment, does. You, When you download Chrome, you get Flash. And yet now they're blocking Flash. Yeah, I'm, 
so I don't even remember what I was going to say. So sorry. Where you go, Mark? You, you killed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a good host does. He kills conversation. No, wait, wait, maybe not. <laughs> Miles, what are your thoughts on this? I, I I hate Flash. I mean, I hate Flash as a user. I hate Flash as a developer. I it's it's horrible. It's weighty in what it does. And the only reason it's there was well, I've got opinion on the web in general. But I mean, my okay, my general opinion on the web is it was never designed to be an application development platform. Everybody who's tried to make it so has done it by hacking it. And that started back in the 90s with JavaScript, and it's continued all the way through to Flash. The fact that JavaScript couldn't do all of that fancy graphics stuff that was local to the machine made the, made a need for something like Flash, and, and Adobe, probably with great intention, filled that need. The problem is that they rushed it to market. They didn't do the appropriate you know, level of QA on the thing, and they created a security nightmare that we've, has plagued us all now for 10 years or so. So, yeah, it is time for it to go. I mean, everyone says, well, HTML5 and, you know, the later JavaScript and the latest, you know, Angular, JS or whatever other, you know, libraries you load into a browser, that'll do a far better job than Flash and maybe to some degree it will. But I don't know. Um, if HTML5 does what we need, why do we need Flash? Let's get rid of it. Google is just putting the nail in the coffin. I, I say good on them. I mean, it's time for it to go anyway. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The people that this hurts are the small businesses who whatever did their website in Flash years ago because they kind of cobbled it together and they don't know anything else because they're not computer people. And now all of a sudden their stuff, it, it was gaudy and ugly before, but now it's not going to work. And so, yeah. you know, it's meant to increase the web. And what it does is it hurts the people who depended on the web has a lifeline. So, and again, you know, it's progress and I understand there's lots of good uses for it. And I'm just mentioning, and it's probably a worst case scenario. And there's probably, you know, there's probably seven mom and pop shops left in the country that use it. Um, but because they're mom and pop shops whose job is, you know, whether it be hardware or whatever, their job isn't sitting in front of a computer tweaking a programming language to make their website look pretty on a mobile browser. No, you're right. And Google have, I don't know if it's necessarily been by design or it's just something that has happened to fall into their lap, but they've become the, the police of the, of the web in that if you want to get, if, you, if that, that small business with their website wants to get customers they're getting customers because they're ranked in Google at some point based on what they offer. And if Google is controlling the on-ramp of customers to their site, Google have historically over the years been dictating the terms about what that means. In other words, if your site is not mobile-friendly, you get downranked. If your site is not responsive, you get downranked. If your site contains heavy media that takes too low to load the homepage, you get downranked. And and those small businesses, they don't know all of these tricks and traps. So Google have policed it. And the problem is a whole bunch of opportunists go out there and they, and they you know, tele-spam everybody going, how'd you like to rank number one on Google? I'll sell you SEO services, blah, blah, blah. They don't know squat. They're not developers. They don't know that in order to do that, you basically got to, you know, rip the site down and rebuild it again from scratch. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if Flash is a big part of the problem. I think it's just a component 
of a legacy that people have to realize when you build a website, you're going to be rebuilding that thing every two to three years. And it's only because Google say so. By the way, I just checked. I'm using Chrome 55 today right now. Ah. Yay, Chrome 55. <laughs> so Now what, with less flash. So here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to go to TiVo Online. This is live experimental radio right here. Uh, TiVo Online is how I watch my own content from my TiVo um, on the web, and it is entirely Flash-based. I'm going to see right now, I'm vamping as I log in, if it works. If it does, then TiVo is in the whitelisted category. Um, If it doesn't, then Google has... uh, you know, shown to stay true to what they say. I'm, I'm going to see right here. I'm clicking right now on Las Estranias del Prohibido. <laughs> just the first thing that popped up. I'm going to say, get this show. And I'm going to just say, watch it right now. It's not working. Oh, wow. I sh- really shouldn't try to do this stuff live. Um, <laughs> It's anyway here. Scintillating radio. Cut this show. Um, add it to my shows. Has been added to your show. Streaming on current way. We're, nope. No joy. Ah. The fix is in. So, yeah, but yeah. So, see, Google's attacking TiVo now. I, I can see That's the right. headlines. That's the headlines. They want everybody to move to uh, YouTube Red. Um, Red means retire extremely dangerous players, I guess. And so this is, yeah, I mean, you know, so now Google is being just as heavy handed as the government. Uh, You're guilty for using Flash and you have to prove your innocence by investing in the infrastructure here. So it's all a giant conspiracy to keep us down. Google commies. TiVo's no small company, right? Right. So they have built, for whatever reason, they have built this on Flash. Um, because that's what made sense to them at the time. And so now essentially Google is requiring them to change their, their entire structure because they think flash doesn't work. So this is one company telling another company, your business practices are inappropriate and, and nobody has a problem with this. Okay, never mind. I, I, it is watching right now. So I just had to click a different button. I'm watching the real O'Neills right now. So, Flash. It's still a thing. But anyway, my, my, my original point still um, stands there. Is it, is it okay for company A to, to call company B, your business plan sucks, and therefore the world isn't going to be able to use your business model? No, but Apple has been doing it for decades. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's other options out there. You can download whatever Microsoft's calling their trash this week. So, um, Opera, maybe give Vivaldi a try. So, you're not forced to use Chrome. But, you know, in, in one way, you can argue this from Google's perspective. If this site performs crappy in Chrome, that looks bad on Google. Google doesn't want to use their Rolls Royce 
you know, to pick up uh, homeless people. They want to use their Rolls Royce to highlight the fact that starlets and major players get in and out of it, not hobos from down the street. And so if you're going to use their browser, you're going to play by their rules, you know, and bleep the tyranny of the default. Google is just doing their own thing. More power to them. Now, out of curiosity, do the same rules apply to Chromium? Because that's what I've been using for the last, I guess, probably 12 or 18 months. I, I ditched Chrome and went to Chromium thinking, well, that maybe that's a stick it to the man sort of thing. Oh, it didn't make any difference. It's the same thing. Well, that's but, up to the Chromium community. They, they have the right, right to choose whether or not to do that. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I just it's that, you know, that whole slippery slippery slope <clears throat> argument you were both using about the FBI, I'm using here about Google. Um when when a company who has that kind of power starts deciding which other companies sh- should lose their livelihood. That seems like a bad idea to me. But then again, Google didn't decide this. Apple decided this several years ago google has but just joined a- apple in their decision yeah but apple didn't have the the punch no matter what they might think they did uh they didn't have the kind of power all they could do was restrict it from one set of devices um chrome runs on many 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 different types of devices so this but, was a much bigger punch but short of chrome books really it's well it's and android browsers anyway. There, you know, there's other, you know, on Windows machines, on desktops, there's lots of other fish in the sea. True. And it is not the default anywhere except on a Chromebook. So, okay. I, I, I uh, step back off the ledge just a little bit because you're right. The, uh, a user myself, I have made that choice to go get this browser and therefore I'm putting myself under the auspices of what Google says is right. And you yourself have claimed you drank the Kool-Aid months ago. How dare you question them now? Well, that's my <laughs> you're job. In too, you're in too deeply. Uh, uh, this, has been, this has been happening in other industries for a long time, though. I mean, like, think about the motor vehicle industry. If, uh, let's say, Ford uh, decide to buy brand X of tires, and then there's a big problem with brand X of tires that, you know, cars are just blowing up everywhere or... Yeah, you know, tires shredding unexpectedly. That actually happened a few years ago. Right, right. Does, is Ford in the wrong for saying, we don't want you to use Brand X tires on our vehicle, so we're going to sell you Brand Y and support Brand Y? Well, interesting, the way the court cases uh, worked out in that particular scenario is the, the, legal, the U.S. legal system found Ford criminally neg- negligent for having made that purchasing decision. So uh, not only were they not penalized for not buying that tire they were penalized for having made a purchasing choice Uh, so maybe google are just trying to protect their own interests here rather than we the users maybe Uh, that's a weak parallel Um, yeah i'm grasping here you know, I mean, you know, they're, one of the things that everybody hated Microsoft Vista for was they said, hey, we're not supporting certain programs that we've supported in every version of Windows up to now. And, you know, and 
so why did they do that? Because they wanted to advance the technology base of their operating system and you can't do it. You know, who cares if your front door has uh, retina scan, DNA sample, fingerprint matching and your mother that you have to tell her where you were before you can come in. If you can still go around to the back door and just crash through the screen, you know, there comes a point to where you have to say goodbye to yesterday in order to embrace what's coming tomorrow. So Flash was great for yesterday, um, but tomorrow, you know, I don't know, something else. Well, Amazon believes they know what's coming tomorrow, and that is a store with no cashiers, no checkouts, no price tags, where you just walk in, take what you want, and walk out, and they automatically, it's it's one-click shopping in the real world. And they call it Amazon Go. And this is, I don't know how, I mean, on the one hand, this is so cool. You know, you're not stuck behind that one person at the head of the line who has 47 different circulars for the 30 items in their bag, and they're going to make sure they save every penny. You can just go through and walk out. But the other token, it's like goodbye anonymity in the world because now, you know, you where, where can you pay with cash here? Um, I just want to come in and, you know, I want to buy my prophylactics and I don't want anybody to know I was here. <laughs> well, in six months when it, when it pops up on your computer, do you need more prophylactics? Um, you know, uh, what are you going to do? It's, uh, you know, I, I want to be anonymous sometimes. Well, you know, in that case, it's actually a greater stigma not to need more condoms. Uh, you need to, <laughs> you, you we would be buying condoms whether you need them or not. Uh, right. But, you know, when your wife says, <laughs> why do you have those, dear? <laughs> so, uh, presumably, this is happening by way of RFID tags in the merchandise um, and, uh, you know, your Amazon uh, payment system already there. And so you walk in, and as you walk out, our, all the RFID tags are, are scanned, and your credit card is billed. And I, I, I like it. It's a good thing. Uh, and yeah, Seth, you can worry about anonymity, but the fact is, all of this is opt-in, and it will always be opt-in. Um, and I think it's a good thing. And I, you know, it's it's very uh, minority report, but I've been wanting it for a long time. Uh, this is exact, exactly what I want. I want to go into Walmart pick up my stuff and leave and i want to talk to a, a an overly chipper or overly surly uh, uh, checkout person either way i don't want to be waiting in line when there's 19 checkout lanes and only two of them are open i just want to walk away um so i bring it on i'm looking forward to this i think it's inevitable it's going to happen there's no there's no way to prevent this this is a a test location right now amazon's only opening one store but if this technology proves to work, it's going to work all over the place, uh, and it's going to be huge. The problem is it's not going to work, not with current technology, because it's too easy to shield an RFID tag and just steal like crazy by simply lining your grocery bag with aluminum foil. Yeah, I well, watched the I, video. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say it's like, um, so they're going to use computer vision, sensor fusion, and deep learning. Our just walkout technology automatically detects when products are taken from or returned to the shelves and keeps track of them in a virtual cart. When you're done shopping and leave the store, shortly after, they'll charge your Amazon account and send you a receipt. So it's not it's, RFID, it's it's scanning, it's facial recognition. All right, now I'm a little more scared uh, because they have to know who you are using optical characteristics. 
that serious buzzword crime right there, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Oh, buzzword bingo. <laughs> really? That's ridiculous. I've, I've heard better statements in enterprise boardrooms than that one. Sheesh. No, okay, it's RFID, you're right. I mean, it couldn't be that much more than that. What, are you going to put Bluetooth on every potato chip you buy? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Well, their their marketing uh, speak here says, uh, our checkout free shopping experience is made possible by the same types of technology used in self-driving cars. Um, there aren't any <laughs> self-driving cars. There's, there's prototypes. There's none on the road yet. Well, this is a prototype store. I um, guess. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, RFID seems the logical uh, conclusion that, that there should could obviously be cameras set on a thing, uh, and maybe it's a combination of the facts. So they they know when something was taken off the shelf because of the cameras, and they know you were near that shelf because of the RFID and proximity sensing in your phone. So it's probably a combination of things like that. Uh, and if the guy behind you happens to be picking up the same thing you do there's got to be some you know difference equation there to figure out which of you actually picked up that case of bud light yeah okay (laughs) i you know i mean big brother's uh creepy older cousin just showed up and but this is this is going to happen there is no way to not keep to keep this from happening it's going to happen the the re- the only reason it hasn't happened is not because people don't want it or because people are creeped out, but because the technology simply hasn't existed yet. Um, and it's going to, and it's going to be at your Walmart because imagine the boon to Walmart if they could fire two thirds of their employees, and all all they need now is stockers and uh, you they, know janitors. They would fire the two of their employees that they have manning the register. <laughs> they really wouldn't lose that much labor. So you got the old so. guy greeting you at the door and you got the guy mopping and you got two guys putting stuff on the shelf and that's it. Still Pretty nobody's going to know where anything is. Right. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I, it know, seems look, like such a hipster thing, you know. But <laughs> I get it. I know it's coming, but it's just, and it's cool. I understand. I see how this is so cool because, you know, you can go in there to get your one thing and you're in and out. And if you're like, get off my lawn and leave me alone, I don't want to talk to you. I understand. I'm that person 97.8% of the time, but it's still creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's just creepy. Well, while we're on the subject, let me make up a, a public service announcement here. And I probably, I've, I could get a referral here if I had thought that far ahead, and, and you could, I could actually make money off of this deal. But if you don't know about this, many metropolitan area Walmart stores have a an online option. Um, and so here in the Atlanta area where, where I live, we have to drive uh, a few miles away. We have to tr- pass a couple of Walmarts to get to one that does it, but there are several in the, in the area. And so you go on to their website or their app, um, and you fill your cart with stuff that you want, and you pay in advance, and then they give you a, a time window that says, you know, we've got two o'clock, two thirty, two uh, forty-five, and five fifteen. Pick the slot you want. You show up at that time, and and you either can by phone or electronically confirm, hey, yeah, I'm still going to make my two fifteen time slot. You pull into a specially marked parking slot, and a guy brings all your stuff to you, puts it in your car, and you drive away. It's a pretty amazing stuff. It's not quite this. In fact, it's better than this because you don't even have to walk the shelves. And so my my beloved wife, who has to shop for five people every week, her shopping experience 
went from four to six hours to roughly 15 minutes, including the round-trip drive. Um, so check it out if you live in a metropolitan area at all. Um, just a public service announcement. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. And I, uh, and I think more, thing, more people are going to be going to that in the future. And it's also good for Walmart, too, right? Because they, a, they, they get your money in advance. Um, one of the biggest problems that, that I've seen, you know, just walking around Walmart is a cart abandoned in the aisle with, you know, a a roast beef bleeding on, on the, the cereal aisle, you know, or people, uh, you know, breaking things and, and, you know, the customers breaking things. So these can all be mitigated, uh, by doing that. They can also know how many people to expect, you know, more and more as this becomes popular and they can staff up accordingly. Um, and of course, if they don't have the thing that you want, they'll substitute it. And usually they substitute with a higher priced item and don't charge you anymore. Or say you want a 32 ounce, uh, soda, they'll give you two 16 ounce instead for the same price. So they, uh, and then sometimes they, they just say, we don't have that. And they credit back your credit card. So there, there's some transaction issues there, but you know, it's, it's a boo, it's a win-win for, uh, for both people, for the consumer and for the, uh, um, the company. And I think more and more of these types of initiatives are going to be because there's such a cutthroat environment now for commodities. It's not like, you know, when I was growing up, there was the store in town, you know, Woody's was what it was called. And you went to Woody's or you drove 50 miles to somewhere else. Understandably, I grew up in a much more rural environment. But as I just said, I have to drive past two other Walmarts to get to a Walmart that that does this. So this is a competitive advantage for the manager of that Walmart uh, if not for Walmart as a whole, um, it's just a it's a harbinger of things to come. I think. Yeah, I've done like ship to store a lot because right. you know if you're one, I found out that Federal Express doesn't know where I live. Apparently, they they've never heard of our address before, even though they ship stuff before and since. I've but, been to your house and I don't know where you live. It's not their fault. <laughs> well, I mean, whenever they yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other reason. But yeah, you know, it's cool for me because. Granted, I live in a rural area, and nobody's going to drive. You got to you got to drive up the driveway and around it to see if there's something on my porch to take. But you know, cats or animals can come and knock stuff over if it's breakable, or uh, you know, or if I'm out and about, I don't have to worry about theft. And so, going to pick up like that can be a can be a very beneficial thing. Hmm. They've been doing this stuff for a while, haven't they? I mean, they've been trying to do this uh, deliver to your door from internet orders you do on your web uh, for ages, and it's just never, it just never took. And I'm wondering if it never took because it was they, it was proven to be economically um, unprofitable on behalf of the the v- vendor, or whether it was just socially awkward on behalf of the customer. Like people like going to the store. And putting stuff in their shopping cart and taking it to the checkout. It's uh, I I personally don't. I hate shopping. I'm I'm one of those. I don't ever want to shop ever again if I can help it. But at the same time, I realise that there are some things that you need to have some sort of physical attachment with. You need to see with your own eyes what those you know apples look like or what the you know how big that laptop computer is you're thinking of buying. Um, so I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'll be curious to see if this thing if this thing actually takes off. You know, Amazon was blazing the trail on the ship to your door thing, and now they're blazing blazing the trail on this, and and the world has followed suit. Uh, Amazon single handedly made 
um, home shipping far less expensive for for everybody. Any 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 place you buy from now, Amazon Prime has set the expectation that's going to be fast and very nearly free, and everybody has had to change their policies to make up for that. Yeah, yeah, and there was also a lot of just the paradigms had to change because for generations, you know, you go to the grocery store, you know, sometimes it's once a week, and then that kind of went away from doing a major shopping trip. Now it's socially acceptable to run in and pick up one or two things, and then people had to learn that you can, hey, you can have stuff shipped, and so it's just becoming more and more um, accustomed to what is out there. And, and our global listeners don't understand this entire conversation we're just having because most of the rest of the world shops three times a day. Um, they, they shop, they, they get up in the morning, they go out and they get their breakfast food, they go back and cook it. Uh, refrigerators uh, in the average apartment in London, I don't, I'm making uh, gross generalizations here, but you know it's not uncommon for a London refrigerator for a family of five to look like a, an American dorm fridge. Because they don't, they don't store food. They buy food and they eat food. Americans eat less fresh food than any other people on the planet. We have greater access to fresh food than any other people on the planet. But we don't eat fresh food. We eat frozen food. We eat processed food. Um, and we go to the store once a month and stock up for the month or once a week and stock up for the week. Nobody else does that. So interestingly, this, this Amazon Go store is sort of a, a throwback to the way things used to be or maybe a throw over to the way things are in the rest of the world encouraging you to make quick painless small shopping trips throughout the the week or even throughout the day yeah that's an interesting analogy yeah i'd say that holds true yeah and if you if they can do a small 1800 square foot store on every block and that's the way you know i uh, i i i know that it's very common in much of europe for every neighborhood to have their grocery store, you know, every block to have their grocery store. That that doesn't happen here. Every block has a gas station. What well, you don't mean not a people store. don't walk into a three or four acre store that has <laughs> everything they need. You know, I mean, it's unusual. It, it, it it's not unusual in the U.S., but it's unusual in the world to be able to buy a car battery, diapers, motor oil, and a cupcake, um, and eyeglasses and prescription drugs all in the same place. And um, a shotgun. Don't forget, shotgun <laughs> yes. too. And, and we're mad if they're not on the same aisle right next to each other. That's how lazy and spoiled we are. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm standing in the checkout line at Walmart looking at my purchase items, and I'm thinking two things. One, this is insane that I can do all this here. And, and they were putting new tires on my car while I was shopping. And two, what must my purchase history say about me? Uh, because you know, uh, as the only man with five, uh, four girls in the house, I, uh, um, I buy some eclectic things sometimes. So you got your WD 40 next to your hello kitty. Um, and it's, uh, but you can get it all at the same place. And that is a uniquely, if not uniquely, certainly unusually American phenomenon. Miles, did they have any of that stuff in Australia when you were there? Um, yeah, I mean, you've got supermarkets and you've got, you know, the largest stores and everything. Um, but yeah, it's not, well. I mean, normally you get you'll get a, a like a strip mall, and it might have two or three variations of different supermarkets in it, and you can actually pick and choose where you want to shop. It's a little more competitive, uh, but no, it's it, that consolidation. You know, where you get the one store that becomes 
everything in the one place and just pick the aisle and you can go and it's like each aisle has its own zip code. Um, yes. Yeah, you, you, you do get that in Australia. Yeah. It, it was invented here, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Exporting um, bad uh, <laughs> habits and policies throughout the world since 1776. <laughs> now I'm proud to be an American English. <laughs> I was down when the show started. <laughs> <laughs> the irs could come kick in your door and take everything your own but hey we got walmarts yeah <laughs> um some people you know this time of year I, I must have been asked already 20 times you get all your christmas shopping done dude i did that online yeah it took me 47 minutes and i'm done um i'm not going to the mall what, what are you crazy no i'm not going to the mall for christmas shopping i am avoiding zip codes that have malls in them for the next six weeks no i'm not going to the mall i'm going to amazon.com elementopi.com slash amazon that's my christmas shopping there you go uh all right that's all that's it that was uh six news stories and uh still managed to make it last over an hour we are we are gifted we did it five news stories i can't even count five news stories um so anyway uh, any other year in so this will be our last podcast of 2017 uh the next one will be uh on january 3rd 4th somewhere around there 4th so um any any year end words of wisdom seth you know um what doesn't kill you will make you stronger except for klingons they'll just freaking kill you <laughs> 2016 thank god it's over <laughs> amen to that too <laughs> uh these are the chimes the tribe men souls uh so yeah uh we made it we are the you souls made it try men's time <laughs> and um the the world didn't end despite uh large uh what's the word uh, pro- uh, uh prognostications to the to that end you know every year People say, well, this is it. It's all over now. Things are going to die. If Trump's elected, it's all over. Well, Trump was elected, and we're all still here. Now, he hasn't taken office yet, so we'll have to see what 2017 has to has to offer, but uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to be all right. So that's my year-end message. We to made it through this year. Curly from City Slickers, the year ain't over yet. <laughs> <laughs> Beware the man of orange. <laughs> um, I, I am always optimistic. Um as weak and frail as humanity is we always move forward well except for the dark ages we won't talk about that uh so i i think we're in good shape and i always say every every year i look at the year past and say what a great time to be alive uh so that's my year end 2016 what a great time to be alive thank you for listening to us uh some of you are new this year we picked you up just recently this is the year of the geek rant the first uh, year of this show but certainly not our first year of podcasting if uh if you want to go back and listen to all nearly six years of content i pity you but you're welcome to do that uh you can go to elementopi.com um the online player by the way uh going back uh if you go back about past two and a half or three years it's flash based so sorry you're gonna have to download and listen uh because the flash browser is going to be broken uh if you're using uh, anything apparently chrome uh but we uh, i look forward to doing this another six years or so 
And I'm not just blowing smoke. I really mean that. It would be awesome to get paid for doing that. Hint, hint. Uh, and if you want to do that, one of the best ways to do that is when you're doing your Christmas shopping. It's not going to help because you're already done Christmas shopping by the time this comes out. Go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. We make somewhere between 1% and 5% of your purchases. And it's interesting. It's uh, We have to list what we do, or I had to list what we do when I signed up. And I said, we're a computer business. So naturally, for computer stuff, I get the lowest amount of kickback possible. So if you have to buy a refrigerator on Amazon that's when you need to buy it using my referral link because since we don't sell refrigerators we get higher commission rates on that commission is not the right word referrals it doesn't cost you a dime not one thing different uh they just give us a little bit of of kickback love that's all there is to it it's it's payola um and uh so that would be great patreon is where you can directly support this show make that your new year's resolution resolution for 2017 i'm not talking about just this show Make that your new New Year's resolution. Pay for the stuff you like. That's become my mantra uh, over the course of 2015 and 16 um, is if you like something, pay for it. If this show is something you like, pay for it. But not just me. Whatever it is, we have become a society and a generation of people who don't pay for stuff. And you know what happens when you don't pay for stuff? It goes away. So make that New Year's resolution. If you like something, pay for it. There you go. That's my end of year thing so seth uh for the last time this year what happened this week in history okay this was a really cool one i um came across so i wanted to share with everyone december the 23rd 1947 which i'm kind of freaked out that this was so close to christmas but um bardeen and bratin i'm probably butchering their names that's their last names demonstrate the transistor to bell lab supervisors john bardeen and walter bratin uh, demonstrate the point contact transistor made from strips of gold foil on a plastic triangle pushed down into contact with a slab of germanium. To measure the amplification, they hooked up a microphone to one end of the device and a loudspeaker to the other. One by one, the men picked up the microphone and whispered, Hello. The loudspeaker at the other end of the circuit shouted, Hello. Although William Shockley had played a smaller role in the invention of this point contact transistor, he was inspired by its promise and devoted his time and efforts for more than a month to improve upon the device. By early 1948, he had devised the junction transistor, a device that shaped the design of nearly all transistors and thus electronics to follow. That happened this week in history back in 1947. Wow. Cool stuff. Everything you we do today is based on that transistor, period. Yeah, we will look back at the last 50 years of the 20th century. Well, I won't. I'll be dead. But somebody 100 years from now will look back and go, man, those guys kicked butt in that time period, didn't they? Well, I hope they do anyway. Hope so. All right. I got nothing more to say about that. So, Seth, uh that during this time of vacation, it's going to be more difficult to get me fired by losing uh, my productivity. So you got to make this one a good one. What is your show closing spectacular this week? Okay, this is quickdraw.withgoogle.com. So basically, can a neural network learn to recognize doodles? See how well it does with your drawings and help teach it just by playing. So you click on Let's Draw. And it gives you, it tells you to draw something within 20 seconds and you go through six objects and then it tells you whether it guessed right or wrong. When I did this, it was able to guess one of six. 
Although, like, one of the ones I had was shorts, and I drew underwear, it recognized it has underwear, but not has shorts. So, some of it's semantics, but it's quick draw, and you are trying to, you are helping Skynet um, with target identification. This is like you're beta testing Skynet's target identification parameters. So, when the computer overlords come, if you play this game, know you will have helped. <laughs> so, this is interesting because... I absolutely suck cheese as an artist. Me too. Um, and so it has to be not only a good neural net, but a good at interpreting really bad designs. Um, and I am, you know, I'm doing a couple of things here and not doing them well at all. Uh, but so far it's gotten uh, four out of five. Cool. And and not only I mean not only am I a really bad artist, but I'm a really bad artist using a mouse, you know. And that uh, that says something. Oh, and my, it has. I didn't realize this. It has volume, so I did it in my same browser. I do the Hangout in first, and didn't know that. So you hear a uh, a uh, OK Google like voice. I see a I see a I see a as it's going yeah. through. So. Yeah, it said my uh, fire hydrant looked like a castle. Or, excuse me, but my binoculars <laughs> looked like a castle. Yeah, so, my, uh, my banana looked like a snail. I see a snail. I see a snake. I see a string bean. Sorry, I did not recognize it. Man, okay. Google's got to cut back on the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Go home, Google. You're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's so, you know, you can become so addicted to this. Or here's the thing. You can say, hey, I found this really cool thing over the holidays. Your boss can try it and go, you're fired. And then I can look like a better hire. So, so this one has possibilities. A, a professional cartoonist with a Wacom tablet would offer no learning value to this at all. <laughs> Draw a bird. Hey, that looks exactly like a bird. Not I, useful at all. It might because you only have like 20 seconds to do it. And so right. a professional artist would spend two weeks trying to render that bird. So, Yeah, when it told me to draw binoculars, I was like, crap, what do binoculars look like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, uh, that's it for the last time in 2016. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for being a subscriber. Go over, make it also new, your, your New Year's resolution to put iTunes on your machine. I know that hurts. It hurts. But go do it. Leave us a rating and review. We have two reviews for 2016. Really, people? Know. Two reviews for 2016? Come on. Come on, man. Um, you can do better than that. So please, it really uh, it, it's, it's a good thing for us. If you want us to keep going, leave us a review. Uh you know, Miles said a couple of weeks ago, make it a five-star review. I'm not even going to say that. Leave us a review. If you think this show totally sucks cheese, say that. I'm okay with that. But uh, I, I would just like people to know that we're out there. And hopefully, I want them to know that we're out there and we're good. That would be awesome. Uh, but, you know, just let them know that we're out there. And maybe you, too, could share this uh, podcast with somebody over the uh, holiday break, and you might hear the, the refrain, I actually liked it. <laughs> yeah when everybody's sitting around you know and the kids are tearing up their toys and you have to pretend like you're watching you know uh just kick the podcast off and you know we'll give you an hour and a half of enjoyment and that's about how long it takes them to tear up their toys so it's a win-win for everybody there you go 
just allow for the yelling at the at the speaker's, you know, time or whatever, because you'll we'll say something will upset you, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. We're geeks and we rant. We're here. We agree, we're geeks. We rant. Get used to it. Thanks, everybody. See you next year, because that's it for this year of The Geek.